Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday morning worship service of the Heartland Church of the Nazarene. We're a community of faith learning to love God and our neighbors as ourselves. Welcome home. Today's sermon text is from Acts 1, 6-14. The passage will be on the screen for you, or if you like, please turn to Acts in your Bible. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, It is not for you to know when the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they had been staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer, together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. Thank you, Sam. That is the word of the Lord for us today. Well, um, waiting. Pray and wait. That's the title of this particular sermon. Uh, I hate waiting, actually, and I know kids do, too. In fact, when I'm waiting for something, uh, either waiting for a package that I'm really looking forward to in the mail, or to go on vacation, or to resume gathered worship uh, with my church family to get to see all of you again, um, to go do something fun, I get super nervous and I get anxious. And that's all I can think about is the thing for which I am waiting. In fact, I, uh, you can just ask Lori, I become maybe a little hard to live with. As, uh, as I am anxiously awaiting because my mind goes to whatever that thing is and everything else just is kind of blocked out and I begin to neglect my, uh, my responsibilities. Sorry, sorry, Lori. Anyway, waiting can be difficult. And I think that's not something that's unique to me. I think, uh, I think waiting is hard because of, well, of the unknown of what the things that we're waiting for or because there's an expectation and a hope for something Uh, that's going to come that's going to be so spectacular and great and we're just going to love it. Or that there's going to be something that's coming that is uh, that is hard and and difficult and something for which we are not really looking forward to but we have to wait anyway and so it messes with us. Well I think waiting is common to all of us and the difficulty of it. Now some of you handle it better than I do obviously. But that's where, that's where the disciples are today in today's passage. Uh, in fact, throughout a lot of Acts, that's where they are. Uh, waiting to hear from God, to, to discern what it is that their next moves are going to be. Um, and so, 
They sit and they wait. Uh, well, we're looking at Acts, and Acts is really part two of Luke's story about the life and teaching and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He started this to set out an orderly account of everything that Jesus has said and done, and he has, uh, he has done it. And uh, in fact, uh, just like good storytellers do when they transfer from one volume of work to another, they kind of recap the things that have happened at the end of one story and in the beginning of the next. So the Ascension story, which is what we're looking at today, the story of Jesus going back up into heaven, which is important theologically for us, uh, because if Jesus doesn't ascend, then he hasn't really truly defeated death, because he's going to end up dying again, uh, kind of like Lazarus. The fact that Jesus ascends to be with the Father in bodily form, no less, that blew my mind when I first realized that. Jesus doesn't stop being fully human and fully God, uh, but he goes up to be with God the Father, to sit at the right hand of the Father, to intercede for us, uh, to guide us, and to grant us mercy and grace. Well, Luke has told the story of the Ascension uh, at the end of the Gospel of Luke, and he tells it now as well. Uh, but immediately before this particular passage, Jesus has been hanging around with his disciples, and he's talked to them, and he's shared with them. He's had meals with them, um, done away with their doubts and their fears. Uh, but he's told them that he's going to go away, and that they're going to need to wait in Jerusalem for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit is, uh, is part of God, too, right? We've talked about the Trinity, so God the Father and the Son and the Spirit, they are all God, um, one God, three persons, for lack of a better, for lack of a better word. So even though Jesus is going away, he's not going to leave his friends, his disciples, um, without help to do the mission that he has called them to do. Uh, after all, he is bringing in the kingdom of God. He has brought in the kingdom of God to redeem and restore all of creation, and he's invited these these men and women too. Uh, He's invited them to participate in what he's doing, especially in the time between uh, when, he, when he is resurrected and when he goes away and when he comes back. Well, um, they are waiting in Jerusalem. Uh, actually, as the story begins, I get, I get myself mixed up here. When the story begins, they're gathered together one last time, and Jesus is telling them they're going to, they're going to go away. And so the disciples are thinking, you're going to go away. You're going to give us the spirit. Yeah, we really don't know what that is exactly. Um, but that's cool if you want to do that. Uh, but we, we want to know what's going next. And so they ask this question. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, this is a particularly loaded question. Um, the kingdom to Israel has all kinds of layers of meaning to it. Uh, for a good Jewish person, uh, they were hoping that whoever the Messiah might be uh, would be, and remember, we got to remember that Messiah is simply someone who has been anointed by God to do a specific work. Obviously, Jesus is that, but he's so much more than that as well. Uh, but there had been Messiahs throughout Israel's history, or ones that they had, they had thought, um, not the, like maybe capital M Messiah, but their hope and dream was that Israel would become again the country and the nation independent that it had been once before. That it would recover some of the grandeur and the glory 
of past kingdoms say that the kingdom during David's reign or during Solomon's reign went where things were right and good. Uh, not like they are now in, in today's context of this passage where Rome is the, is the power over Israel. There's heavy taxation. Uh, there's uh, persecution with their religion and things like that. And so uh, the I Israelites are hoping that Jesus is going to, or that God is going to send the Messiah to retake Israel, to reform it, to make it everything that uh, God had wanted it to be in the first place. And so they ask this question, and it shows that they really don't understand what Jesus is doing, and they don't understand about God's kingdom. In fact, Jesus has said multiple times that his, the he, he is the one who's already brought the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God on here on earth begins with his life, his death, and his resurrection. And he's invited them to participate in that kingdom and to work towards its fulfillment at the end of time. Uh, besides, um, the disciples have already forgotten that Jesus' kingdom isn't a kingdom of violence. It isn't a kingdom of revolutionary political overthrow. Uh, if that were the case, Jesus would have already done that. He had the crowd support. Remember Palm Sunday, he's, he's coming into Jerusalem, the capital city, wave, and people are waving palm branches and singing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they are, they are primed to make Jesus king, to kick out the Romans and to make Israel all that it should be. Uh, but that doesn't happen. In fact, he gets arrested and he gets crucified. And yet he raises from the dead. But in the midst of all of that, he shows us truly what his kingdom is. Is that when he is suffering, when he has had the very worst done to him, he offers not condemnation, but grace. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. The kingdom of God is not about political power or might. It's not about violence. It can't be brought about by those things. Um, the kingdom of God only comes about through... Uh, the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and, and the work of the people he has called to be his disciples. In case you're wondering, that's you and me as well. So they don't particularly understand uh, the question. They're still hoping that Israel will become great once again. But Jesus' response isn't one, he doesn't chide them. Uh, he's gracious as he has been. And he says this, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. He's basically saying, hey, the kingdom is going to come in its fullness. It's going to come one day and it's going to be better than you could have even imagined. But it's not for you to know. I'm, I'm going to need you to wait. Like I told you, wait in Jerusalem for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This whole, this whole program, uh, the kingdom of God, uh, this is, by the way, the spirit is the same spirit that has been, been guiding and helping Jesus as well. Uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, part of the same thing. This is not something new in the world. But Jesus is going to go away and he's going to give them the spirit to help them be the people they want to be. And we'll talk about, uh, to help them know to understand, to be able to even conceptualize what God's kingdom really, really looks like. Well, uh, they're told to stay and wait. He says, but this, he says this, but you will be, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
Now, Israel was expecting their Messiah to come and, and restore Israel. Um, they had in the back of their mind the promise of God to Abraham, that, God's, that Abraham's family would be a blessing to the entire world. But they just thought that that meant by Israel becoming a great nation that they could bless other people. Obviously, we understand on this side of the story that Israel blessing the entire world is the fact that Jesus Christ comes from Israel and gives us grace and salvation and life. But he's calling them and he said, okay, so you're going to wait here for the Holy Spirit. You're going to wait in Jerusalem. You'll be my witnesses. You will, you will proclaim the good news about salvation from Jesus Christ. The good news of the coming of God's kingdom of peace and restoration and reconciliation in Jerusalem. In all of Judea, which is the southern part of the nation of Israel, uh, where Jews were, that's, that's the Israelite nation at this point. And in Samaria, which is, used to be kind of northern Israel, now we have to remember that there is some bad, bad blood between Jews and Samaritans. Like so much so that Jews wouldn't travel through Samaria to go to wherever they were going if they were going to the north. They just wouldn't do it. They would go around. They wouldn't even talk to Samaritans. In fact, one time Jesus talks to Samaritan and kind of gets in, in trouble with his disciples. So the fact that Jesus is saying, you're going to witness about me to the Samaritans is kind of revolutionary. It kind of explodes their worldview. What do you mean that the kingdom of God, that your salvation, it's not just for us Israelites, but it's for the Samaritans too? By the way, they call them dogs, Samaritan dogs. Yeah, but not just the Samaritans, but to the ends of the very earth. Jesus is laying out for his disciples, wanting them to understand that his work in this world is not just for Israel, but it is for absolutely everybody, everybody in the entire world. Well, when Jesus finishes, um, he goes up and he sends up to be in heaven. And uh, he just goes up and I can imagine the scene in my head and I want you to kind of think about it as well because I think it's kind of humorous. Uh, the disciples are all standing there. There's 11 of them by now, Judas, yeah, unfortunately. Uh, it's not with them anymore. But they're standing around and they're looking up into, into the sky and they've watched Jesus go. And, and I can imagine them standing there, head tilted up, mouth open, unsure of what to do. I don't even know what to liken this to. Like what kind of experience might be where you've watched something and it's gone and you're just so um, confused and worried and anxious about what happens next that you just, you don't know. It's so outside of your frame of reference to even know what it will be or what's going to happen next. So they stand that way for, for a little while. I can imagine it's been long enough that God looking looking down on his disciples, these these men who are going to begin the work uh, of the church in the world. And he says to himself, or he says to Jesus or the Spirit, hey, we got to do something because if we don't do something, they're not going to move from where they are. And this whole thing isn't going to get going. Uh, and so he sends down two, two messengers. We can assume they're angels. And uh, they say, hey, hey, guys, woohoo, snap out of it. Uh, Jesus is gone. You need to go back into the city and you need to wait. Uh, Jesus will come back one day in the very same way that he left. 
And so they, they return and uh, they return to Jerusalem. And um, let's see what we have next. There we go. And they gathered together and they, they prayed and they waited. Uh, and that's what the text says. The disciples and, and their friends and some women that were part of that. Um, Luke is very conscious about adding those. He says this, all were constantly devoted themselves to prayer together with certain women, including mother, the, the, Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as the believers. So something is important here. I, and I think this is, this, is, this is the crux of what I want us to understand and say and, and believe today. That if you and I, if us as the church, this is as true for the disciples it's as true for us as it was for the disciples. If we are going to participate in the best possible ways in God's kingdom here on earth, that we must wait and pray. Wait and pray. See, I think the disciples knew they, they needed to pray. One, because they could not, they could not even grasp what was coming. Like their, their worldview, their understanding of everything that had happened so far, of what they thought God was going to do, has just been completely exploded. They're having a hard time conceptualizing what the future is going to look like. We have those moments in history when disasters happen, uh, where things so radically change. We think of 9-11. Or even, you know, for generations before us, Pearl Harbor. And uh, even to a certain extent, this whole pandemic coronavirus thing. Is that things change and things are always changing. And God is working in the midst of those things. And so as we wait and we pray, God begins to reveal to us how it is that we are going to participate in that new and changed world. See, I think, I think prayer... I think prayer is about helping us to be attentive to God and what God is doing in our world so that we can understand it, so that we can participate in it. I remember in 1 Peter, we were talking about these new believers, a new birth, and we said that that new birth that they have received was a conversion of their imagination. That they, because of the love and grace of God, they began to be able to see the world not as it really is, uh, but to see the world in the way that God sees it. And to see the potential for the world in the way that God is remaking it in peace and reconciliation. I think that's, that's part of our conversion of our imagination, our new birth. It is sitting and waiting and praying so that we might become aware and allow God to speak to us, to show us what God is doing in the world, so that we can join with it. Now, um, what is prayer really? I think mostly we think about it that we're conversing with God, that we're saying, I, you know, I've prayed already this morning, we'll pray again at the end. We ask God for things. Well, I think prayer, it's very heart what it is, what it should be in its, in its fullness, is us sitting quietly, available to hear what God has said to us. Now, I don't, I don't want to disparage any other kinds of prayer. We need those. We need to be able to pray for, 
friends and loved ones who don't know don't know Christ. We need to be able to pray for those who are sick. We need to pray for uh, wisdom for our leaders. But if we are going to be the church that we should be, we are going to be the people of God, then it is vitally important. If we are going to proclaim the good news in word and deed, if we are going to reach all of the people in Fulton and Callaway County, then we need to, as the disciples have been, to be devoted to prayer. Prayer that's not just telling God what we think we need, but prayer that sits and waits in silence, ready to hear what God is doing and how we might participate in it. Well, it's obvious that we live in a, a post-Pentecost world. Uh, the Spirit of God has, has come. Well, that's, that's next week's passage. And we're actually going to look at a passage from Genesis. It works. Don't, don't worry. Well, we, we have received that Spirit already. That is available for us to, to cleanse us from unrighteousness, uh, to empower us, to live obedient and faithful lives, to strengthen us, to go out into our world, to live Christ-likely, even if it leads to our suffering, as we've said the last couple of weeks. That is what the Holy Spirit is there for us, to give us wisdom and discernment. But I think sometimes, I think sometimes we're not so good at waiting. We're not so good at the prayer that seeks to sit and be quiet and listen because well we're, we're impatient at least I am right that's why I have problems with with waiting we're impatient and when we get impatient we begin to take things into our own hands when we fail to sit and wait to receive from God direction and guidance in how we are going to live in this world, how our church is going to live and minister in this place, we begin to say, well, that idea right there looks pretty good. Let's go do that. And it may not be a bad idea, but it may not be the idea that God has for us in this particular moment. And more often than not, when we begin to take matters into our own hands, we begin to cease to rely on the grace and love of God, and we become less Christ-like and not more Christ-like. So I hope that, um, I hope, well, we've got, a, we've got a board member, Bill Ford, he's a great guy, hope you know him, and he is passionate about prayer. And I am hoping, uh, we've, we've given him this responsibility to kind of begin to lead us in, in prayer, prayer for our church, Pray for you, pray for our, our country and our community. And so I, I, I hope I would invite you to join Bill. Um, say, hey, Bill, I, I would love to pray with you or be involved in this in somehow. Um, but I would hope that, that our prayer in that, in that way is that we are able to sit still and listen. Listen to what God has called us to do to be attentive to the way in which he's working in the world, ways that, that just might completely destroy our framework for the way the world is. 
that maybe you and I don't have the capacity to really understand what God is doing. And that's because we don't sit and wait and pray. Well, I have got, I've, got some, uh, I've got some ways for us to wait and pray. So here's, I want you to commit to waiting and praying for the Holy Spirit to help you discern the next steps for you and for our church. We've said, we, we had that slide, uh, pray for 15 minutes at four o'clock. I would love for that to continue to be the case, but that instead of you calling out to God, um, telling him what you think we should do or what he thinks, what we think he should do, that you might take that time to sit and wait and pray. Set aside one, one half hour each day this week or you know, sit in silent prayer and begin with time by asking the Holy Spirit to come in a fresh way. Then spend the rest of the time in silent reflection. Uh, the Holy Spirit wants to work in us and through us. We just need to invite him, invite the Spirit to do that. Perhaps you might gather with a friend or two to wait and pray. And then maybe you gather together again with friends after you've done this apart from each other. You share your experiences with waiting and praying throughout the week. Uh, I, I think that we have a lot to learn from each other in that, in that kind of way. That as we wait for what... Uh, as we wait to hear from the Lord, to grant us wisdom and discernment in what we might do moving forward, uh, that we bring that to the church and we might discern together as we pray together to be the people that God has called us to be. Well, I think that one of the ways in which we wait and pray, uh, one of the ways in which God has an opportunity to speak to us is through the Lord's Supper. <clears throat> And we're going to receive that today. And um, the Lord's Supper starts, we're, the way we're doing it, right? It starts with a prayer called the Collect for Purity. And it is a prayer that, that asks God, excuse me, asks God to put us in a mindset and a posture to be able to hear what God is asking us to do and to be obedient. Um, and, and so we do that, and then we say this, we tell the story of Jesus' life and his kingdom coming and his death and his resurrection. And then we eat that little bit of bread and that little bit of juice, and uh, it strengthens us. And I hope that, that as we sit and wait this morning a little bit, I'm going to have some, a slide here in a second, some music as you prepare your elements. Um, take some time to sit and wait and ask God to help you do that on a consistent and regular basis. Well, we're going to receive this. Uh, we're going to say these words. There's going to be some time for you to, to respond in the midst of those words. And then we'll come back and we'll receive the Lord's Supper together.
Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name, through Christ our Lord. Amen. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, our Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks to God, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, when the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples, and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so, in remembrance of your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice, in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of our faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. O Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here on these gifts of bread and juice. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world, until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Because there is one loaf, we, though we be many, are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. The bread which we break, it is a means of sharing in the body of Christ, and the cup over which we give thanks, it is a means of sharing in the outpour blood of Christ. Amen. Come and receive the gifts of God for the people of God. We have the elements. Um, if, you ha if you need another second, go grab them. Uh, if you, I know my family, they've got a a bowl and they're dipping it in juice. You may have little bits of bread and a little cup like this, maybe you have a big cup, I don't know. Um, receive this, uh, the body of Christ, which is broken for you. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. Thanks be to God. Let's pray and then we'll receive this benediction. So Lord, we confess that we, well, without your spirit, without sitting and waiting, we, uh, we take things into our own hands and we try to be the church and we try to be your people without really sitting and soaking and, and asking in comprehensive ways what you would have us do. So Lord, I ask that for us as a church, for us as individuals in our own life, as we might discern um, the next steps, where we work or where we go to school when we graduate or where we're gonna live or who we're gonna date or what all of that, that we might commit those things to waiting and prayer. Lord, grant us strength to to be able to sit still and silent long enough so that we might hear from you. And then we ask that you continue to give your spirit to us so that we might have the strength to faithfully listen, follow, and obey. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Well, uh, I invite you to extend your arms to receive this benediction. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through the Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we could ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace. We will see you later. Thank you for listening to our Sunday morning worship service. For more information about the Heartland Church of the Nazarene, please visit heartlandnaz.org.